and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It's good to be with you another uh, Wednesday evening, reflecting into Pope Francis. And as I do every Wednesday, I have Bob Cross joining me. So, Bob, it is good to have you with me another week. Always good to be here, Joe. Thanks. So, Bob, as we typically utilize this evening to engage Pope Francis in both his life and thought, and we typically spend at least seven to ten minutes reflecting upon where he's at in the news, well, where we are at within the document, Joy of the Gospel, is why he's been in the news over the course of the last year. Um, So, what I thought we would do tonight is just jump right into this chapter two, where he's talking about the, the doctrine, the social justice doctrine, and its pertinence to the new evangelization, so that we might have a deeper sense of, of what he's actually saying. And I thought the best way we could do this would be able to take a step back and look at some things that he himself has said in regards to limitations. So if you were to go to paragraph uh, 51, we read this. I take for granted the different analysis with other documents of the universal magisterium have offered. So for example, if someone were to complain that the importance of something like how Christian virtues naturally find expression in business activity one might simply reply that this exhortation does not need to state these things. That is what he intends to mean by that, Bob. Um, And if you were to, say, go to a document like Santissimus Annus, an encyclical of John Paul II, uh, which was an encyclical written on the 100th anniversary, hence Santissimus Annus, of Rerum Novarum, an encyclical written by Pope Leo XIII, on capital and labor, where he gets into a lot of things like the natural virtues that that uh, come about in business activity. So you're not going to see him talk about that. Uh, there are certain things that he does not get into this document, and what he's saying here is because it's already uh, well established in the teachings of the magisterium of the church. And for all of this, what he's saying, Bob, is that there are some limitations to this exhortation. And here he is explicitly qualifying uh, these limitations. The second would be the emphasis he puts on social doctrine and how it is to be interpreted as no more than an application of what is already established. This is why he says uh, this from paragraph 184. This is not the time or the place to examine in detail the many grave social questions affecting today's world, some of which I have dealt with in the second chapter, that chapter we're going to talk about tonight. This exhortation is not a social document, and for reflection on those different themes, we have a most suitable tool 
in the compendium of the social doctrine of the church, whose use and study I heartily recommend. And so we could say maybe a third limitation here, Bob, would be that the Holy Father does not intend his reflections to settle matters definitively or to crowd out contributions from knowledgeable experts. He says in uh, uh, paragraph 202, neither the Pope nor the Church have a monopoly on the interpretation of all social realities or the proposal of solutions to contemporary problems. So when the Pope speaks, for example, about the need to address the structural causes of inequality, he is not thereby endorsing some already existing policy or political platform, as some would have it, but rather drawing attention to a task which he is inviting economists and social scientists to contribute to. So I thought it was important, Bob, to just off the top, and before we engage these important chapters, to speak to some of the limitations that Pope Francis himself speaks to. Well, I think, you know, when you look at his, um, his intent of this, of this document, his exhortation, it's about, well, the in translation is the joy of the gospel. And you have to take into consideration um, just what his intention was. And he's been real clear. Joy of the gospel means that he feels that many of us in the Catholic faith have become somewhat uh, numb to evangelization or the missionary zeal that, that uh, he, he, he talks about that we should have in terms of reaching out in our world. And until you really you know, establish that, you have to read everything in this exhortation with that, in that context, with that in mind. Mm-hmm. So in order for us to have the right frame of mind, you have to kind of look at, at our economical way of looking at things or, or how we view um, uh, political situations that relates to social you know, justice, social issues. Um, because if we don't have that right frame of mind from a social or a political standpoint to some extent, well, then it's difficult for us to really grasp that joy mm-hmm. of the gospel and to understand what the new evangeliz- evangelization is asking us, yeah. asking of us. Yeah. That, that's well put, Bob. And here's the thing. You know, we have said that while this pope is uh, Mother Teresa's pope, and the reason why we say this, she served the poorest of the poor, and as we have noted before, Pope Francis, um, back in his home diocese, was known as the Bishop of the Slums because he spent so much time in the slums, which, again, the country he comes from, the region he comes from, is the most important impoverished region per capita in the world. And that's so important for us to understand, Bob, because when he was elected Pope, when the Holy Spirit inspired this conclave to elect uh, Cardinal Bergoglio, the next Pope, Pope Francis, there was a clear intention. And that clear intention was to remind the body of Christ that the church is of the poor and for the poor. And he takes this man, and he is showing us what this looks like. And we have to take a step back and appreciate this for what it is. And so, yeah, when we talk about the new evangelization, and we put it in the context, Bob, of ardor, methods, and expression, and you know, new and creative ways to evangelize secularized culture, and we have these discussions, and we have these conferences, that's all fine and well. But what Pope Francis is reminding us 
is essentially what his namesake was all about, St. Francis. If you don't have a heart for the poor, if you don't have a deeper sense of the poorest of the poor, yeah, you can serve God, but the call to saintliness, the call to sanctity and holiness, I tell you, if there's one thing, one thing, Bob, that all the saints have in common, it's those who have a heart for those who are most in need. And what else here, and this is quintessential to the document here, why is he talking about social justice? And you really touched upon it. Well, ardor, methods, and expression. What's that first principle? Ardor. Ardor is fire to be you know, in, in love with God, to have passion for God, that missionary zeal. Well, what is he saying? No one is on fire for God. No one is out there on the streets proclaiming the truths of Jesus Christ. We have, we have slipped into this dormancy, this complacency. And he's saying we need to wake up. And where does he go? The problem is, he says, we're too attached to money. The problem is we're too attached to this one thing, so then we're not available for God. And this is why he, he goes where he goes here in these paragraphs. For all of that, Bob, what does he say in these paragraphs? Well, let's read paragraph 54. I'll go ahead and read paragraph 54. In this context, some people continue to defend trickle-down theories which assume that economic growth encouraged by a free market will inevitably, or, it, or of itself, succeed in bringing about greater justice and inclusiveness in the world. This opinion, which has never been confirmed by the facts, expresses a crude and naive trust in the goodness of those wielding economic power and in the sacralized workings of the prevailing economic system. Meanwhile, the excluded are still waiting to sustain a lifestyle which excludes others or to sustain enthusiasm for that selfish ideal. A globalization of indifference has developed. So first off, uh, we have to accept the criticism here that inevitably that word might not be the most accurate translation of the original Spanish, the porsi. Uh, would better translate as of itself, okay? Small point, but the more accurate phrase suggests that a free market, and certainly that phrase is important in this discussion, Bob, that a free market, in accordance with the aforementioned documents, centesimus annus and rerum novarum, they are a necessary condition. That is, the free market is a necessary condition of, of a greater justice, even if it is not the absolute sufficient condition. Important point there. I and mean, I know we talked about this last week, Bob. You know, Pope Francis has never condemned this entrepreneurial spirit. He's simply saying, be careful that the free market is not to be seen as an end in of itself, but a means uh, to an end. And let us read this paragraph as we should read any intelligent piece of writing and observe its context. In fact, the paragraph actually invokes a context, right? In this context. So what is this context? Well, from the preceding paragraph, it becomes clear that our current Holy Father's concern, Bob, is precisely with cultures in which human beings are themselves considered consumer goods to be used and discarded. He calls this a throwaway culture. 
which certainly in its own right signals his willingness to use uh, popular and catchy phrases, which quickly get the intuitive idea across. This has upset some uh, academia, if you will, the use of some of this language, but he is writing to the whole world here, just not a select group of people, but to the whole world. He wants everyone to understand what he's saying. This whole use it, pitch it mentality, it doesn't work. And if we had any question, Bob, into what he actually means when he talks about throwaway culture and its relationship to things or persons, what did we talk about last week? You know, what was his message to the UK in the 40 days for life? The 40 days for life is, is that apostolate started for pro-life where you go in front of the abortion clinics and you pray and, and you sidewalk counsel. It has converted so many hearts. Pope Francis last week endorsed that and said, you know, God bless you. My blessing is with you uh, that you are standing witness to the what? The throw away culture, you know, that, that essentially abortion is the siege of this throwaway culture. Sure. And when you think about it, uh, how many times have you heard, you know, um, uh, someone who's pro-abortion, you know, defend the fact that, you know, a mother or someone may, uh, it, it, it affected their ability to be able to, 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 to work or maybe their career might have been threatened or their ability to be able to <clears throat> go on with their life without regard whatsoever for, for the life of the child. And that's not what this program is all about, obviously. But, but in, in the context that this, this particular part of uh, the exhortation is describing the throwaway culture and our almost obsession and our, and our idolatry for making money and being consumed with it, it's, it's easy to see how, you know, in the, in the, in the value of human life mm-hmm. is, is, is even compromised yeah. by virtue of that cultural wiring that we have to keep continuing to try to make more money and to make more progress and develop ourselves and yeah. the life around us. The first principle, Bob, of every teaching that comes out of the social doctrine of the church, when we talk about social justice, it always, it always starts with the dignity of the human person, whether it be the moment of conception or that time of natural death. It is always about the dignity of the human person. So yeah, it makes sense that, you know, he uses this language um, while in the same context he's, he's using this language as he's speaking to the discarding of human beings. You know, I mean, it's, again, you see that uh, continuity, Bob. Well, in chapter 55, I mean, it goes on to say, the current financial crisis can make us overlook the fact that it originated in a profound human crisis, the denial of the primacy of the human person. Yep. We've created new idols. The worship of the ancient golden calf has returned in a new and ruthless guise in the idolatry of money. Mm-hmm. He just comes, nails it right on the head there in terms yeah. of what he's speaking to. That paragraph 55 really lies underneath so much of this document. From paragraph one to the last paragraph, it really lies underneath. It's striking. You know, so going back to paragraph 53, you know, he goes on to say that, you know, those people that are excluded are no longer society's underside or its fringes or its disenfranchised. They are no longer even a part of it. The excluded are not the exploited, but the outcast, the leftovers. Now, that is another striking assertion. A careful reader here, Bob, 
will observe that when the Pope says that the excluded ones are not properly described as exploited, he is specifically rejecting a Marxian or liberationist analysis of the problem in terms of exploitation and oppression. He is explicitly saying that the problem is different and requires a different analysis and solution. Obviously, uh, the, the Marxist or the socialist solution of a command economy will not address this different problem. Uh, that this context of exclusion, not exploitation, is the governing context of then paragraph 54, Bob. And certainly that would be evident in the Pope's words, meanwhile, the excluded are still waiting. You know, we, we had, you know, some contemporary radio hosts quite critical of this. It is to say that those journalists, those radio hosts that were critical of, of Pope Francis in his use of trickle-down theory, you know, we, we all read something and we react to it as opposed to read it in, a, in its context and respond to it. And I say we have to be understanding because I'm raising my hand right now, and I think we've all done that, react as opposed to respond. It's, it's subtle, but when you look at the words he's using, he's actually making an argument against that Marxist socialist thought. So commentators, Bob, have complained about paragraph 54, that trickle down is a political slogan, uh, not a respectable uh, economic term. However, it does capture that intuitive idea exceedingly well. The Pope is not slinging around a, a slogan to side himself with some political party. I think in the end, you know, the problem here is, Bob, that we interpret the world from a specific vantage point. And that vantage point is often tied to either political affiliations or generally what we think is the right thing to do. We do not go to the thing being said within the context of its source or from the larger picture that it comes from. Everything that we've been talking about tonight, really. I mean, we opened up with that discussion on limitations because I think it gives us a deeper sense of where Pope Francis is trying to go. Well, you know, and it's, it's funny, we, we started out the program by, you know, talking about, you know, um, what Pope Francis's intent was with uh, this exhortation. And, you know, I, I keep going back to it early in to, uh, or halfway through chapter 51, where he's saying he's, you know, he takes for granted the different analysis from other documents, like we discussed. Yeah. But he says he, he just, he claims only to consider briefly. Isn't it funny, yeah. funny how he puts it? It's almost <laughs> funny because it's created such an uproar. Yeah. He considers briefly from a pastoral perspective certain factors which can restrain or weaken the impulse of missionary renewal in the church. We're talking about the new evangelization. Either because they threaten the life and dignity of God's people or because they affect those who are directly involved in the church's institutions and in a weak work of evangelization. So he's not, again, he's, he's not condemning mm -hmm. anyone. He's not no. condemning our way of life, no. per se. No. He's concerned about our hearts yep. and our perspective. He's saying to us, essentially, once you begin to put an emphasis on one thing, i.e. the marketplace, there will be at once a de-emphasis on the human person. That is what lies at the heart of it. You know, he has a beautiful response to those who are critical of his words. And he says this, I, I thought it would be 
we would be well served tonight to actually read his response. Gosh, and I read this response, Bob, and I thought this could have been in the work itself, the way he explains this. He says, in regards to Marx's theory being in the, in the document, the only specific quote I used was the one regarding the trickle-down theories which assume that economic growth encouraged by a free market will inevitably succeed in bringing about greater justice and social inclusiveness in the world. The promise was that when the glass was full, it would overflow benefiting the poor. But what happens instead is that when the glass is full, it magically gets bigger. Nothing ever comes out for the poor. This was the only reference to a specific theory. I was not, I repeat, I was not speaking from a technical point of view, but according to the church's social doctrine. Wow. You know, he is telling us, Bob, that we have been conditioned to think a certain way. When we wake up in the morning, Bob, are we thinking about the problem of uh, homelessness? Are we thinking about those who go without food? Are we thinking about those who go without love? No. We're turning on that radio station to see how we're doing on the market. You know, what's the NASDAQ reading today? What does my portfolio look like today? That's what we're thinking about. And, and all you have to do is turn on the news. Yeah, I mean, he, he says, you know, that the news doesn't really describe the homeless person who was found, you know, overnight that had passed away. Yes, but it, yes. Yeah, he references, you know, whether or not the market was up or down. Yeah. You know, and or the emphasis is on that as far as our news agencies are concerned. Yeah, it could be put this way, Bob. The greatness of man is not defined by how self-sufficient he is, but by how much he is sufficiently selfless. This is what Pope Francis is after. The greatness of man is not defined by how self-sufficient he is, but rather how much he is uh, sufficiently selfless. This is what we need to start thinking about. And this is why he is talking about what he's talking about in these documents. The fact that after this, he gets into the idolatry of money, this kind of singular focus we have uh, towards what our checkbook looks like at the end of the month um, is what he wants us to get out of. I mean, what did the rich young man say to our Lord? What do I need to do to attain eternal life? Gives him this nice response. And, and <laughs> sell all that you have. Sell all that I have. Sell all that my father has worked for. Sell, sell everything that I have slaved. What are you saying? Sell everything. One thing that I came to discover that I really had no idea about until I was doing my research for my dissertation on poverty was pretty much on every page, our Lord is talking about money. <laughs> you know, he meets us how he makes us. He knows how we think. Man, everywhere does he use the language of money to get across a point. Why is it that you see in Paul? He's constantly talking about you know, the stuff of God within the context of money. Baptism is, is a down payment, he says, you know, first installment. Oh yeah, you know, because the people can get that language. And what Jesus wanted us to understand, which was crystallized in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, is that, you know what, you worry too much. You're too anxious about the things that you cannot control. Do not be preoccupied, he says. 
And I dare say, Bob, this is what Pope Francis is saying. Don't be so preoccupied with the things that you cannot control. Get back into that more vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. So yeah, and he, he's going to get into it later in the document when, when we start talking about new and creative ways to better share the faith of Jesus Christ to those who do not have faith or who might be weaker in faith. Ultimately, you will get that message a whole lot better if you first understand your need for God, that you would long for God the same way your lungs long for air. That's the essence of it. <laughs> and, and, you know, I know mea culpa here. Um, I, um, too many times, anxiety, stress, you know, frustration, pessimism, I allow those things to creep into my life because I'm concerned with, you know, um, how, how my retirement plans yep. developing. Yep. Or mm. whether or not I'm going to be afford, able to afford the things that I think that I really need. Yep. And you say, you know, mea culpa, and we, we all have to say mea culpa because he's speaking to all of us, Bob. He's speaking to all of us, Bob. So that's a wrap. Good program, Bob. I was uh, grateful we had this chance to talk about this all-important subject matter, and we will definitely pick up with this subject matter next week. Let us close in prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.